Five boys and all, with my brothers Tom, Philip, Ronald and Keith, I always had playmates. My memory starts with the war years, which began when I was six and ended when I reached twelve. I remember vividly the flares lighting the sky over Newcastle as the German bombers tried to pick out the heavy industrial targets of the Tyne, and I can recall the searchlights scanning the blackness for a German fuselage to strike. I remember feeling afraid, scared of being bombed, as we were gathered up before taking cover. We had air raid shelters in the yard, and the smell and feel of a gas mask will never leave me. As boys, we didn't play at war, as many lads of that time did. Football and cricket dominated our playtimes. On the back walls of the outside lavatories, we would chalk the posts and crossbars of our goals, and there wasn't a car in the street to hinder our activities. We'd play football in the schoolyard before the bell went, football at break time, and football after lunch. It was a reflex, an instinct. Between the ages of 11 and 15, I played for Langley Park on Saturday mornings. At 15, I was sufficiently well advanced to start turning out for the under-18s. School was strict. At Waterhouse's modern intermediate, discipline was imposed by a whacker of a cane across the hand. If you were really naughty, you were tanked across the backside. I was especially fond of two of my teachers. Miss Henry, who was a real lady, took us for English, history and geography. But my real mentor was David Gilliland, a Sunderland supporter. He taught us cricket and football and took the trouble to arrange matches for us even though the school had no official team. He died recently, and I was sad to miss his funeral. We had an away game that day. I'm sure he would have understood. My mother was solely a housewife, a cook and a housewife. There was never any thought of her having her own career. She devoted her life to my father and her boys. I can't remember a single argument between her and my father, so I think it's safe to describe it as a happy marriage. She was lovely, always immaculately turned out. She kept the house spotless, dusting and polishing every day. My father was a great dad. I was always aware of him, following me and supporting me. His pride shone through. During my England playing days, I gave him one of my caps, and he and my mother put it in a little glass case, which they placed in the hallway of the house. He showed it to everybody. I'd say, Dad, don't do that. But he'd reply, don't be daft, and wait for the next knock at the door. Of course, it was Dad who exposed me to the football addiction that was so rampant in the northeast, and I became one of the pilgrims who flocked to St. James's Park every other Saturday without fail. We started our regular visits just after the war in 1946. Dad would lead my brother Ronnie and me onto the 10 o'clock bus to Marlborough Street Station. It was 20 or so miles and took an hour. We'd be at the gate by 12.15. We were first in line, and I mean first. I can see us standing there as clearly as the hand in front of my face. Those trips provided the inspiration for me in my ambition to be a footballer. This was the game I loved on an immense stage, watched by huge legions of Geordies, all well in Newcastle on. This was the passion that was to animate my life.
Most clubs sent a scout, but Fulham dispatched the man himself. Bill Dodgen Sr. came to our family home, seated himself in the front room and explained why I, a 17-year-old lad from the mines, should travel hundreds of miles south to start a new life in London. In those weeks of sifting through my options, I could have chosen to join Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Newcastle, Lincoln, Blackpool, Huddersfield or Southampton. But Fulham had a reputation for nurturing bright youngsters and I liked Bill's enthusiasm and sincerity. He impressed me, so I took a gigantic leap into the unknown. My pay was to be £7 during the season and £6 in the summer, which was twice the amount I was earning at the colliery. I set up home at 56 Inglethorpe Street, where I was introduced to my great mucker, Tom Wilson, who later became a successful businessman and a Fulham director. Tom and I shared a room for five years and were inseparable. We were best man at each other's wedding. For me, there wasn't the luxury of becoming a professional sportsman overnight. My dad insisted that I carry on my trade as an electrician, so when I arrived in London, I took a job with a firm based in Victoria. Their big project was the Festival of Great Britain site on the embankment. But while I helped to put power into those buildings, my own body was being drained of energy. I would get up at 6am and then after work, I would go straight to training three nights a week. The fatigue was diminishing me as a player. I needed to work full time on my fitness and my skills. Even in Fulham reserves, I was playing against full-time professionals who seemed to be sharper and stronger than me. Eventually, I set up a distress flare and my mum and dad came down to discuss my problems with Bill Dodgen. Dad, I said, I'm playing against good players who seem to be ahead of me, fitter than me, stronger than me. I'd rather try full-time and fail than do it part-time and fail anyway. After a moment's thought, Dad considered the point. It scared him to think of me abandoning my trade for such a risky profession. But he saw that it would be wrong to strangle my dream. He set me free. I didn't have a girlfriend at Fulham. In that sense, my heart never left the Northeast. My great romantic attachment was to a beautiful nurse I happened to bump into on one of my visits home. I met Elsie at a local village hop. That night, after a few dances, I took her home, kissed her on the step, and waved a good night. From then onwards, I carried on my love affair with Elsie through letters and over the phone, because I couldn't afford to go home much, not during the season at any rate. I wrote almost every day, hardly ever missed. I courted Elsie from 18 years of age to the day I married her in 1955. That first summer in 1950, Fulham had been promoted and had forked out for some decent players, Ian Black, the goalkeeper, Charlie Mitten, Eddie and Reg Lowe. These were big names, bought from big clubs. I was a raw kid. It wasn't easy to break into that Fulham first eleven, but once I stopped trying to be an electrician as well as a footballer, a remarkable improvement was evident in my game. I became more robust, more muscular, more energetic. I made my debut towards the end of that first season against Sheffield Wednesday and my dad came down to see me take my bow. I wish I could have done more to repay his faith. I hardly touched the ball that day. I found it so, so hard. 
I was playing real men's football against solid professionals who really knew the game. Rejoining the squad the following season, I was a bit more developed, more comfortable with London life and with my teammates. Fulham was a nice club, a social club. Their most famous chairman was a comedian. I'm not being rude. Comedy was Tommy Trinder's trade. When we were relegated in 1968 with me as manager, Tommy observed, The reason why Fulham have never won the league championship is that we could never work up enough speed. That's why we've dropped back into the second division, to get a longer run at it. I was a wing half, a midfield player who combined defence with attack. My better half was the attacking. My heading was so-so, but I had an eye for a goal. I could shoot, and I had a bit of pace, a dribble, and a feint. Bill Dodgen would regale us with simple slogans. The ball is round, make sure you pass it around, was one. And... Happy when you win, smile when you lose, was another. That went out of the window later in life. If you smile when you lose nowadays, you're accused of not caring. Of the great Fulham characters, Jimmy Hill was one who stood out. Jimmy was an extrovert. I liked Jimmy. I thought he was lively and honest and had a point of view. He was educated and enthusiastic. In fact, he could talk better than he played, but he wasn't a bad player either. Ron Greenwood, another big name of that time, was a bit more doer. Ron was solid, intelligent, and he knew football. I wasn't at all surprised that Ron became an England manager because he studied the sport as an academic would. If Ron was your friend, he'd be there forever. Charlie Mitten was a Fulham card. He loved his greyhound racing, did Charlie. He even used...